everyone. Welcome to another episode of Inbound After Hours. Uh, this week we've got a very special guest. We've got Cyrus Shepherd. Hey, how's things? Hey guys, good to see you. Yeah, Talk you to you. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, Cyrus, for anyone who doesn't know who you are in the Inbound community, can you just give a little bit of background on yourself, where you've been and worked and what, what your involvement is in the community? Yeah, most people, most people today probably know me either on Twitter or from my work uh, at the software company Moz, uh, where I was SEO for uh, a number of years. Um, I started doing SEO back in 2009 uh, because I was making websites, you know, um, basic HTML, Dreamweaver, you know, horrible <laughs> looking things. And I needed a way to market them. And I started Googling how to, you know, get traffic to websites. Uh, and, and, you know, I was looking at AdWords and all this stuff and I discovered SEO when it was like a light switch went off. <laughs> um, uh, for, a lot of people don't know this about me, but for years, uh, I actually went to film school and I was a uh, struggling screenwriter. I never wow. got anywhere. I was a horrible screenwriter. <laughs> uh, but once I started switching to uh, SEO and marketing, uh, I was actually good at something in my career for once. And uh, it was like, I can't believe I've been trying to write screenplays all this time when I, <laughs> and I love it. So uh, I got into SEO. I, I, and then I lucked into a bunch of things. I, I got my first client uh, extremely quickly. Uh, wow. I, I started working. Um, at Moz in the customer service department, answering okay. phone calls uh, and unloading the dishwasher at 6 a.m. Uh, <laughs> just as a way to be at the company. And they, within three or four months of working there, they actually promoted me to lead SEO of the company. Wow. Uh, How which, does that happen? Yeah. I don't know. I still don't know to this day. Uh, <laughs> and I had terrible imposter syndrome for, for probably the first year. Um, and I actually left the company for a while because I'm like, I shouldn't be here. But then I, I left and I, I like, you know, I was actually pretty good at that. So I went back and I spent another three years there. Um, and, it, you know, it, it was a great opportunity. So now today I'm uh, uh, today I run my own um, uh, content marketing company. We, we generally don't do take a lot of client work. Okay. Uh, we my wife and I have a partnership. We pr produce our own content, do affiliate marketing, things like that. A few consulting clients. Um, uh, that's where I am today. And I, but I, I still have that, uh, I'm still on Twitter. I'm still trying to help people out. That's ingrained in my, my DNA. Um, and that's where we are. Awesome. No, that sounds good. Um, what, one of the questions I've, I've always had is what's the kind of pressure like of being an SEO at somewhere like Moz, who's the pinnacle of, of SEO kind of, of yeah. So, content. well, you think the, you think the pressure is going to come from the community, but it really doesn't for okay. me. The pressure came from working with Rand Fishkin because yeah. uh, I did not want to screw up in front of him. I learned so much from him. Yeah. Uh, and so I would, but at the same time, I, I had a job to do. Uh, so sometimes, you know, sometimes we would disagree and butt heads, but Rand is awesome and he would let me, you know, do what I want. Um, so that, that was more pressure than the, than the pressure of community. And we screwed up all the time, but you know, that's, that's SEO. You, you, yes. uh, you try things, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work. Uh, the one thing, the one thing we did have to get right though, was when we wrote blog posts, when we, uh, did our correlation ranking factor study, or we did our best practices, we had to make sure we, we weren't wrong. Uh, yeah. We didn't always have to be right, but when we were giving best practices to other people, we had to go that extra mile to make sure we were giving 
you know, a base level of standard advice that, you know, uh, wasn't just wildly inaccurate. So uh, we, we took that very seriously and still do today. So, yeah. I think oh, a, a challenge a lot of companies have, whether it's agencies or in-house, is reaching that sort of quality threshold of content. There's a, there's a lot of content goes out. Like you say, particularly in this industry, some of it is wrong, sadly. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, how? I no, no, definitely not. But because everyone's pressured to write content, um, I don't think there's that pressure to put it through editorial process or put it through testing or get a high threshold like you're describing there. What are the sort of processes or challenges you guys had in making sure the stuff you put out was good, true, honest advice? How did you put a gauge on that? So for years, we, we actually didn't have an editor. Uh, people, we'd have a lot of con contributors to the Moz blog, a lot of people yeah. in the industry. They would actually just type in uh, their blog posts into the CMS and hit publish at midnight. They could be anywhere in the world. Uh, <laughs> that changed around 2013, 2014. We actually hired an editor. We actually uh, created a process, which kind of, you know, it kind of sucks in a way because it, anytime you add process to something, it, it slows you down. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the variety, sometimes you don't know. Sometimes we've screwed up. We've published things that were, that were ended up being wrong. We've taken some heat, but sometimes you do have to take some risks uh, in doing that. So generally, uh, so you guys, you guys are an agency. One, one thing that I always recommend for agencies, you know, uh, agencies have, such unique opportunities to publish case studies without yeah. without publishing best they don't you don't have to get dive into best practices but i know i know how challenging it is because you have to take you have to take hours out of your day you have to yeah. it's billable hours that you could be doing something else mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily have you know a staff of writers that are you know <laughs> great at producing your your own content so it is challenging but i find the agencies that produce a lot of good case studies without being overselling yeah. um the actual goal of educating much like this podcast uh, actually do pretty well most of the time yeah definitely in in the role um at Mars, what were some of the what were some of the big wins you had in seo what were some of the tests you did that worked particularly well what were things that went is there anything that jumps to, to mind of a change you made and it made a big impact or was it a lot of incremental stuff it's a lot of incremental stuff. Uh, the biggest thing, the surprising thing is it just always, almost always goes down to the basics uh, of producing the content that got links uh, week after week. Yeah. Um, I remember the screw ups more than the, than the <laughs> we did right. We, we in, in the same week, we, uh, we switched to H HTTPS and we, we became mobile responsive and then we changed a bunch of our CMS and uh, we ended up uh, after that, our rankings just sort of, they didn't tank, but they were just, they were reduced about 20% and we couldn't figure it out for months and months. Yeah. And we had to reach out to uh, John Mueller of Google. Uh, and, and people think we have these private backdoor channels and generally <laughs> no, I was posting on, you know, the Google webmaster forum. Yeah. Uh, we do know some people at Google, but you know, that generally, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and it, we're like, Hey, Moz needs help. We, we, something is wrong. And it, it turns out when we made all those switches, we inadvertently created, um, thousands and thousands of misformed URLs at sent some incorrect signals to Google. So they were canonicalizing 
the wrong page, the wrong page. So it was half our fault, half Google's fault. Um, <laughs> that was one of those things where Rand and I butted heads a little bit, but at the end of the day, it took us eight months, but we fixed the problem. I, I remember that one more than anything else. And, and the, no one in the public knew about it or really cared, but uh, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of the technical side of SEO is that, isn't it? It's background stuff that front end users would never know. How much time would you recommend SEOs focus on that sort of stuff versus the actual real front end basics like you're describing, just good content optimized with the sort of standard stuff that you need? How, where, where would you spend your time? And I know that's going to be a very different answer for different companies, but... It is. And I'm, I, I've actually, I've actually, it's a great question for me because I've been struggling with this myself uh, because I'm terrible at that balance. Yeah. I, <laughs> I am an optimizer. And the thing about optimization is it never ends. Yeah. You can, you can go down that rabbit hole forever and yeah. there's no such thing as perfect. No. Uh, you can always improve your page load speed. You can always improve your internal navigation. You can always tweak things. And I, I find that I spend way too much time uh, on the nuances, but I also enjoy it because that's where I learn a lot of things yeah. that I can scale in other places. Uh, but honestly, <laughs> honestly, you know, let, let me, let me st hit the refresh button. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Google came out with their, uh, an engineer, uh, a Google engineer said the top three in an interview said the top three ranking factors were content links and rank break. Uh, let's substitute engagement for rank brain. And yeah. I think that's a good proxy for where people should spend their time. If you build a pyramid, you should spend most of your time on content. Uh, the second amount of time on links or just simply marketing or telling people about your, your content that you created. And third is engagement. Yeah. And if you think of your pyramid like that, I think that's a good model. Okay. So, um, brings us on quite nicely to links, obviously the journey of, link building, link earning, promoting your content. It's, it's been up and down as there's a lot of stuff we don't do now that people used to do, etc. What are good tactics for people earning links? I know it's a little bit different at somewhere like Moz that would, I wouldn't want to say naturally attract links, but it's kind of already got the market presence and the leverage a little bit. If you were looking back at kind of what you're doing now or what you've done with other uh, companies in the past what's what's good ways for normal mid-market companies to get links yeah so when i was at mods we didn't worry about that at all because we just hit the publish button <laughs> yeah that's all we did and hopefully it was good enough and we got links then when i went into private practice i had the complete opposite problem i was working in industries where nobody knew who i was no one cared about me <laughs> uh and I was in the same position that, you know, thousands of marketers are. And I wish I had some big insights, but I really don't. It comes down to the basics. Uh, I create content that my one standard for content that we create in my company today is that it has to have something that people can steal. Um, whether it's a graphic or data or images, you know, anything, something that people can take away from. And I, we, we're, my wife is a graphic designer, so we're a very visual focused uh, company. Um, the second, the second thing is just 
outreach, outreach, outreach. Um, you have to tell people, you have to write a lot of cold emails. The one thing that I learned early on though, in my, in my link building career, uh, it's, a mis it's a rookie mistake. I'm sure you guys, anybody working in an agency knows. Uh, the biggest mistake I made early on was creating content before I knew who was going <laughs> to Yeah. Yeah. So everybody makes that mistake. Then you, you, you create the content, then you do your link outreach. You're like, whoa, this is way hard. This would be easier if I started my outreach research and then created the content and then went back. But, yeah. uh, hard lessons all around. Definitely. I quite like the theory of creating content that's stealable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I quite like that. Is yeah. that how many people naturally just take it and reference you versus you needing to do the legwork and finding and them hunting them down and saying, "Hey, remember to reference us." I think I think when I when I nail it, when we create really good content, uh, and we get that at those initial, you know, 10 or 20 links, and we start to rank a little bit in Google, if it's actually stealable content, then the, the flywheel process takes over and people are finding you in Google search results, because you've targeted those terms. And you're, you, you no longer have to do outreach, you're just finding you and stealing your content and linking to you. Um, and it's kind of an 80 20 rule. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, if you if you hit the nail on the head, uh, it becomes a lot easier. Great. A lot of people um, that listen to the podcast are maybe a little bit earlier in uh, marketing career um, from a digital perspective. What do you think, if you were looking at hiring back at Moz or in previous roles, what's important to you in looking for good digital marketers and how would that, how would that go to kind of career advice for people in marketing today or in digital marketing? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I think a fundamental understanding of websites. Uh, I've worked with SEOs who are completely green and them and those who have some technical knowledge. And it's really hard if you don't have that basic technical knowledge of HTML and CSS. If you don't have your own site, if you don't have at least a minimal WordPress site, you're starting off a year or two behind everybody else. Um, so just having a website and I, I, I can't believe, I know so many SEOs who don't even have who don't have a personal site and never had one and I uh, I would encourage that to be a first step just writing about anything yeah um, it raises your stature in the industry it gives you credibility and so it's amazing to me that we work in an industry of marketers and so few people market themselves on a regular basis uh, just having an SEO blog or sets you a cut above the rest and it's your calling card yeah. uh, to any industry. when you walk in the door to any company if you have that website and you're tweeting and you're posting articles and sharing people you can you can get hired anywhere uh, they won't even look at your LinkedIn or your your resume it's 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 that uh, so technical <laughs> skills yes <laughs> writing skills communication skills one thing I learned from Rand Fishkin uh, was that a lot of people don't appreciate is the art of writing emails and <laughs> I still write emails, you know, in that vein. Uh, one thing Rand told me uh, was always, he never writes an email. He always assumes that any email that he writes uh, will be published on the web, uh, <laughs> that there are no secrets in email. Write as, as, as if everyone in the world is going to read it because there's a chance that it will, especially <laughs> as you grow in your career, you don't know who it's going to be shared to. Uh, you know, it, here in America, we have a lot of problems with Hillary Clinton's emails. And <laughs> yeah. if they just learn this lesson, just assume everybody's going to read it. It's a great marketing opportunity. Yeah. Uh, 
so those two things, communication and technical skills uh, are, are a basis of what I'd look for for hiring. It's good two tips that no one, we've asked this question to a lot of people who have interviewed in podcasts and neither, no one's mentioned either of those two tips in terms of having your own site and the importance of that in sort of career progression yeah. and employers noticing you versus other people. And yeah, I've never thought of email that way. I guess Rand has had that presence where he needs to worry about people caring about his emails. Um, um, <laughs> Comes across. No, it's a it's a really good tip. I like that definitely. So um, obviously you're on Twitter very actively. Um, I follow you on there and, and listen to what you're saying. What uh, What's the chatter in the industry like from an SEO perspective at the moment? What are the things people are optimistic about? And then on the other side, what are things people are wor- worried about at the moment? How does the landscape look? So there is a bit of a worry in the SEO industry. Uh, and that is, um, you know, looking, looking at the clickstream data uh, that people are actually clicking fewer search results, uh, dramatically fewer than they did uh, even three years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is because the Google SERPs are, are getting so informative um, with the rich answers um, and the knowledge boxes and opportunities like voice search where you, where you have a Google home and you know, there's no opportunity to even click. Uh, this is a worrying trend for most people. It, it, it hasn't been an issue, but Google is becoming more and more informative and it's a, it's a risk to the entire industry. And we've talked about it for years, but it's, it's actually on the horizon. And now Google is sending out notices uh, to webmasters, how to add structured data so you can uh, better present yourself in voice search and, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Do we really, we don't really have a choice. Uh, we want to be in front of the, the c- consumer, but the model, the model that we've been using for the past, you know, 10 or 15 years that we're going to have a, a website with a link and people are going to click the link and that's how we're going to get, that's how we're going to market ourselves. That's beginning to change. And we might have to come up with a different model in the next five or 10 years to still get our message out without that actual website visit. So that's, that's something that um, I'm personally think about a lot. Uh, the SEO industry in general isn't chatting about it much yet, um, but it's, it's slowly eroding away. And then does SEO turn into more of a kind of branding game, just being another yep. touch point where you're appearing either in a knowledge box and this answer was provided by such and such or on voice search and this is who the answer's from. And it's just another it's just another part of brand awareness and sort of digital engagement that doesn't directly lead to traffic Yeah. further down the road. It's kind of, you might get the longevity benefits from that. Is that kind of the way? Yeah. And I I think there, there are still the opportunities for branding have not diminished whatsoever. And they're probably increasing. Uh, Unfortunately for some publishers, the opportunities for monetization are switching from the publisher to Google. And uh, we're starting to see Google actually, you know, try to help out a little bit, helping uh, publishers with subscription models. You know, mostly it's the big publishers like, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times that are benefiting from this. But uh, yeah, the way the, the web monetization models are, are definitely shifting. Um, on the excite, let's switch the conversation to exciting <laughs> things. Yeah. Uh, things we're, we're excited about, uh, you know, uh, speed improvements on the web, AMP, 
the double-edged sword. I, I'm now a fan of AMP. I wasn't for a number of years, but I, I finally, finally converted. How far do you think people should be pushing with AMP at the moment? Because a lot of a lot of the AMP work we do here with clients is um, is on their news section and blog and stuff like stuff that's really low format anyway. Whereas sort of web pages and stuff that has a bit more um, complexities to it and things like that, we haven't really started pushing like service pages and things into AMP. Do you think the technology is going to get there where we where we need to go down full AMP websites, or are you guys doing that already? And I think I think your guys' approach is is smart and it's 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 balanced. The the problem with AMP exactly as you as you touch upon, it's an implementation issue. Uh especially if you have a lot of custom pages, custom CMS, it's just expensive and hard to transfer mm. some of those pages into AMP. So uh you have to find your balance. Uh I think as you guys probably you know have experience, it's getting easier. The tools out there uh, mm. are are making it are making it much easier. Um, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish Google didn't give preferential treatment to the AMP pages. They just gave the mm. same treatment to all pages that uh, met a certain speed and experience threshold. But uh, we're not yeah, there yet. Because there's good developers who can achieve very, very good speeds without AMP and faster than AMP. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And sometimes they're better experiences than AMP at the moment as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a shame. So. We were excited to see this week Google is pushing a fix uh, for the URLs. I, I'm sure you saw that. So you know, uh, sometime in the short and in the near future, you won't have to use the Google cache and uh, URL. You can use your own URL. That's a big improvement definitely um, so looking forward to that no cool plus two how's um so from your viewpoint andrew uh, obviously we're a full we're a full inbound agency so seo is a kind of pocket of the of the full offering how focused the clients on seo versus where we were a few years ago is very very seo heavy kind yeah. of that balance is moving obviously moved <clears throat> to content and then continues to move whereas what do clients focus on now? How I think, yeah, we have a mixed, we have a mixed bag, I guess. But we, people still like to know keywords, rankings. <laughs> yeah. They still like to ask, you know, where are we? Are we number one? I don't think that'll ever change. No. Uh, but I, I think people are understanding now that the methods to get those rankings are content based. Um, <clears throat> obviously, we do a full, we do we link build and, and things like that. But I think. The sell of content's much easier now. Yeah. I think it's just overwhelming, and I think people understand that much more, um, yeah. which is good because that's what yes. we do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah, the metrics are still uh, keywords, and yeah. I mean, you know, more more people understand domain authority, and our, we're educating our customers as well. But um, yeah. I think with the inbound sort of methodology as well, is done a good job of, of selling that content plan and yeah. and. Uh, yeah, it's it's getting easier a little bit. But. I've always yeah, had a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We we like to do both. Yeah, yeah. I've always been. Pre we we had a guy on a few weeks ago, a guy called Peter, who runs a company called DataBox. It's a, like a reporting tool, and we're chatting about reporting a bit. I've for quite a lot of years, I've been pretty hardline that I want our reports just to be, this is what organics brought you in terms of traffic, leads, revenue, kind of top line business figures and everything else is a 
it supports that. Like, do you know what I mean? And so when clients are asking us for really in-depth 200-page keyword reports and stuff, I'm... We don't. Yeah, we, we say no. We kind of say no. Um, but how... Where, what's your stance on how important is still looking at your keywords? Are they even accurate given the personalization in SERPs and things like that? What's, on the whole topic side, I guess, as well. We're, yeah. We're moving away from that. Definitely. How, how did... How much did Moz care about where they ranked for each individual keyword? Well, we uh, we tracked it definitely, and it was uh, we didn't care so much ourselves, but um, we the it was a good proxy to show other people in the company, show the efforts of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, what a lot of people don't realize, you know, about Moz is SEO and marketing was just another department in the company. We had to compete for resources just like everybody else. Um, it was a little easier because we were mods, because we made SEO <laughs> yeah. tools, you know, to, uh, we had a justification, but, uh, yeah, I, I, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's all about how many conversions we got and, uh, and those sort of things. And it's, it's tough. I don't, I've been having this conversation, you know, for, uh, for eight years now, and I don't <laughs> yeah. think there is an answer. No. Um, you want to show value for your efforts. Uh, and it's really tough to focus on exactly the right metrics, but I think simplicity is the way to go. Uh, give yeah. your give your clients, you know, two or three metrics. Show them the business value of what you're doing. De-emphasize the rest because rankings are going to fluctuate. Uh, traffic's going to fluctuate. Just focus on focus on the results and focus on the long term. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So to to kind of wrap things up, if you had to give two or three tips or areas of learning for people in SEO and in marketing at the moment, what should be the things they should be learning about to kind of save themselves or to um, enhance their results in the next six to 12 months? What sort of things should they be reading about and trying to test and implement their company at the moment? Yeah. So I, I, one thing, one thing I highly encourage people to do is simply to experiment because uh, so many people don't. And I, it, it's hard when you're an agency and you have clients that you're working with uh, because you don't want to try things that are risky, but sometimes you find those clients who are willing to try things. Yeah. Uh, and if it's, if it's not your client site, maybe it's your personal site, whatever. We did so many experiments that, at Moz that were crazy. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, the, the craziest one I think we did was we de-indexed follower wonk. Um, okay to see, see how long it would take to drop out of Google rankings and how quickly we could, we could go back in. Uh, we, we did crazy stuff like that all the time. Um, and we, and we'd have these meetings like this could cost us a million dollars if we screw it up, but oh, well, it's, it's for science. Uh, so for (laughs) one experiment, uh, two, if we touched on this earlier, but if you're, you know, kind of young in your digital marketing career, I writing about your experiences and engaging in people on Twitter, Twitter is the, our biggest gift in, in SEO that you can talk to literally anyone, get in contact with li- literally anyone. And if you have good content, people will share it. I will share it uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, I try to share uh, 10 to 15 articles a week and it's hard to find those sometimes that are actually worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, so if you have a good case study, a good experiment, something that's original, it will get shared and you will be known and you'll learn. And even if you don't learn, you can, you can uh, debate it with other SEOs and, and figure things out and get your name out there in the industry. Okay. Uh, and I, I tell everybody to attend one or two conferences a year, but no more. Okay. Yeah. 
Obviously, Moscon would be one of those, would it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cool. What? Um, we had a good chat. We had Rand on the podcast a while ago, and he was talking about the the benefits of going to conferences from a from a brand viewpoint, but then also like a personal viewpoint as well. Uh, we kind of have a similar stance. What are the what are the ones that you like to put on your map in a year? What are the conferences that take your eye and you think about going to? Well, I, I think Moscon's a good one, uh, that, but that's at one end of the, the scale. Yeah. Uh, the other end would be Brighton SEO. Um, yeah. Very low cost, tons of great content. Yeah. Um, I don't want to tell you the ones I would stay away from. I think the creme de la creme is uh, Search Love run by Distilled. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's on the pricier side, and yeah. but it's very very intense small groups um i've also uh i've i've been uh, i last month i did a bunch of conferences in eastern europe which is is great uh mm -hmm. in prague and romania and those places are wonderful because they don't get a lot of speakers from the united states they're yeah. very appreciative uh jindrik Frebrowski runs marketing festival in prague i watched it grow from 400 people to almost 2,000 people today wow. uh, but sometimes i like those regional conferences that are a little more um they're not they're, they don't have as big as profit motive and yeah. they're, they're more some some conferences are just all about making as much money on you as they can so my, my judge of a conference is how good is lunch uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, yeah. Anything else you'd like to tell people watching, or anything we haven't covered? Or oh, I I, I wish I could give you some some uh, great tidbits, but I, I don't really have any. Uh, really <laughs> don't don't believe everything Google tells you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're doing a great. Google does a great job. John Mueller, uh, mm -hmm. great great representative, and soon to be Danny Sullivan. Yeah, uh, who used to work for uh, who used to own third door media. Um, but, yeah. uh, yeah, don't believe everything Google tells you. Uh, don't believe everything your eyes tell you either. Uh, things change all the time and have fun. Good one. I like the last one particularly. No, it's fantastic. Well, um, appreciate your time. I think users get a load of value out of today. So definitely appreciate you doing that for us. What's the best way if people want to stay in touch with you and, um, listen to the sort of stuff you do and read the sort of things you're publishing. Absolutely. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, okay. I don't, uh, I don't make my email address widely known, but you can find it if you really need to. And, uh, but Twitter is the starting point for all of that. We'll pop your Twitter link uh, below on the show notes so people can uh, to read you and uh, send you any kind of good words from the podcast. Uh, so we'll do that. And uh, yeah, appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. I know it's early out there. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll see everyone else next week. Yeah, thanks, thanks guys. guys. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks a lot.